Hello and welcome to Bellcast, a podcast looking at the work of screenwriter Nigel Neal, with Howard David Ingham and me, John Deere. This episode, we bow to the inevitable and force ourselves to look at Neil's sole venture into the world of sitcom, as we wonder what on earth, or rather in Mercury, is going on with Kinvig. For our potentially psychosomatic journey, we're joined by comedy writer and performer Gemma Arrowsmith, whose series Gemma Arrowsmith Sketched Out is on Radio 4 and BBC Sounds as we, or rather I, speak. We look at what's going on in comedy in the early 80s, how the presentation of sitcoms has evolved, and why sci-fi fans aren't all conspiracy theorists. They might just like reading 14 times. I've heard there's some good writing in that magazine. So welcome to Birdcast, uh, comedy writer and performer, Gemma Arrowsmith. Hello, thanks so much for having me on the show. Not it's at lovely all. Lovely to have you with us. So uh, you've been a, a Nigel Neal fan for a while? Because I first noticed, and obviously I was aware generally, but it's when you posted a big a big pile of Neal stuff on, <laughs> yeah. on, on, on Twitter the other week. It was when I got my copy of Tomato Cane, um, the the newly uh, re-released uh, copy of Tomato Cane, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to do a little diorama of all of my Nigel Neal DVDs and Blu-rays with the Tomato Cane book on the top? So I've got them in front of me now. So obviously all of Quatermouse 1984 and, well, the the all of Quatermass on the BBC and then obviously the Hammer versions uh, and so then the Stone Tape and Beasts and, and Kinvig which is what we're going to be talking about today um, and I think someone said wow someone that prioritises Kinvig over Beasts uh, you have an interesting collection and I had forgotten to put my Beasts uh, DVD in there I have I have rectified <laughs> that I have rectified that <laughs> uh, so it was that was an error but um Yes, uh, and uh, I've I've set them out here in front of me. I'm looking at my my lovely little uh, Nigel Neal connection as we speak. I thought that would be appropriate as we have this conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Have you you watched 1984 yet, the Blu-ray? Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I got the the BFI uh, Blu-ray version of it and... uh, uh, with the, I, lo- I love a DVD or a Blu-ray with a little booklet. Uh, I, I, it's, it's so disappointing when when the DVD doesn't have a booklet, isn't it? And I recently bought uh, the the Omega Factor, not a Neil story, but very. I would imagine very much uh, in, in the same wheelhouse. Yes, Neil Jason, and uh, it didn't come with a booklet, and I was devastated. And I sent. I know Louise Jameson a little bit, and I sent her a message saying, devastated to find there's there's no little booklet telling me, oh, we filmed this in Surrey in nineteen. 19- 76 and it was raining <laughs> that's, that's what I'm that's what I'm here for when you when you buy a nice coffee I hear the commentary on the 1984 blu-rays quite good great work some really good facts were found were found were found, were found in that do have a listen to do have a listen to the commentary. I understand, Gemma. It's 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 I most will. it's most enlightening. No, not you. I don't care about you. I'll, Gemma, it's, <laughs> mo- it's most mo- mo- most enlightening. Uh, and it was the first time we recorded it. it we recorded it over Zoom because it was recorded during lockdown. So oh, blimey! Yes, yeah. 
So there's that was wrangling that was, with uh, with technology even more than we are now. <laughs> we paid for it having to produce it ourselves. Anyway, so where was your first, or how was your first encounter with the work of Nigel Neal? You know, I've been trying to think. Um, I think I. I think I w- first saw a Neil show before I I was aware of him, if that makes sense. So I, I think I saw it and then went, oh, that was Nigel Neil. And I reckon it was either the stone tape or Woman in Black. And I think it would have been the stone tape that I first saw. And it would definitely have come via the League of Gentlemen, who re- I basically loved the League of Gentlemen and would listen to all of the commentaries uh, and read every article that they put out in every interview. And I would write down whatever folk horror they mentioned uh, and any science fiction they mentioned and I would go away and and watch that so that was how I came to watch uh, you know The Wicker Man and Don't and Don't Look Now and all these so uh, I think that's it I'm pretty sure probably Mark Gatiss mentioned the stone tape in an interview and that was what sent me away to locate the stone tape I think that and the fact that I knew Jane Asher from loads of other things so she was not only the cake lady for goodness sake when I was growing up she's the cake woman we also had a book of of sort of dressing up fancy dress costumes that she wrote and how to how to make your like a fancy dress costume of a lobster and things like that which I had so I would have recognized Jane Asher and I think I that's what would have probably drawn me to watch the stone tape first so I reckon I came to Nigel Neal via the stone tape as my as my introduction to his wonderful writing but in the 21st in the 21st century we're talking long past when it oh yeah oh yes absolutely so um or maybe we it would have just grazed the 90s maybe when I first saw it possibly so we're we're talking the, the the turn of that century yes did you know Jane Asher's in the Hammer um, Quatermass experiment? She's brilliant, isn't she? Yes, I did. And she, she, I just think she's phenomenal. <laughs> she's a wonderful, not only cake maker and uh, it turns out Cost- uh, costume maker, she's costume also, she's children's costume maker. She's also, <laughs> she's also a brilliant actor, yeah. And she turns up, um, it just reminded me, just then popped into my mind, she turns up in an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures, like staying, staying with them. Um, mm. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she's great. Uh, in- there's a radio play in the 90s where she plays Susan Foreman. It, I did not know that. That's yeah. brilliant. That's brilliant. I think God. it's on the Dar- I think it's on the Dalek Invasion of Earth DVD. Oh, fantastic. She's great. Probably isn't she? mean, yeah, which probably means it's going to be on the it's, it's going to be on the Blu-ray. But yes, 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 she is. She was at a Nigel Neal day. She came and introduced Was she? Is she really nice? I hope she's she is. Re- so, she's yeah, so okay. nice. Yeah. <laughs> she's so nice. Good. I had to meet her from the cab. That was, that was, that was. Anyway, this isn't about us. Um, so, yeah. So, so nevertheless, important big hitter, shout out, traditional big hitters like Stone Tape or, yeah. or, possibly, or, possibly, the, or possibly the woman in black. I uh, so, yeah. And at some point, like a lot of things later, like a lot of formative experiences, mm-hmm. you may not know it's Nigel Neal at the time, but then you get a, exactly, a, wider, yeah. a, a wider sense of the sort of writer Nigel Neal is and very much in that sort of, in that, in that, in that, in that wheelhouse. Absolutely. I was definitely aware of the Quatermass experiment for years and years mm-hmm. before I ever saw it. Um, I, it. You know, I was a real science fiction 
kid um and so was like my mum my was a science fiction kid as well and she was the one that got me into science fiction so that was why I watched Star Trek and why I watched Red Dwarf and Quantum Leap and all and went to science fiction conventions more on that later because that is why Kinvig was written was because of a science fiction convention um but I was the person who in I grew up in Birmingham and we would go to and a lot of conventions happen in Birmingham because it's right in the middle of the, of the country so uh I was lucky enough to go to a lot of of sci-fi conventions I I um, met Dean Stockwell. Uh, he died recently and Quantum Leap is being yes. rebooted as we speak. And I met him uh, at, a, at a sci-fi convention. Anyway, I was, because of all of that, I was very aware of the Quatermass experiment for years as this incredibly important bit of television. And also I love the history of broadcasting. It's something that I've always found fascinating. And um, sort of early television and early radio just sort of enchants me when uh, when the people involved are sort of inventing the medium as they go I'm sort of completely right, yeah. enchanted by that which is why um comedy is my main love and always has been always will be and that's why I was sort of fascinated by kind of ha Hancock's half hour and um Steptoe like really kind of the, the beginnings of of sitcom really how we started I mean I think the word sitcom was first used about a, a, a Tony Hancock thing like the word situation comedy was uh, invented uh, <laughs> when in an inter BBC internal note I think when referring to a, a, a Tony Hancock project I think um, I think I have that right. Someone listening will be able to correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> no, no doubt. But um, I love that. I love the sort of beginnings of things. So I was very aware of this very, very important TV show called Quatermass that kind of kind of wrote the rule book on, on how to um, make brilliant, incisive television drama and, and, and how ambitious it was. And I was a big Doctor Who fan. Now, I know there's there's a, quite a lot of friction between <laughs> uh, Nigel Neal and, and Quatermass and, um, and, and Doctor Who, but um, I knew that probably Doctor Who would have had a hard time coming into existence if Quatermass hadn't, hadn't gone before it. And, uh, Absolutely, and so, yeah. As, yeah. And so as soon as I was able to kind of get my hands on a, on a copy I, I did I, I kind of love I remember when I was growing up there was a program I think called the 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 treasure hunt not uh not with Anika Rice but it had uh had Terry Wogan and he hosted this show about lost media and lo lost programs from the BBC um and there was I think a very, very, very early website as well called the BBC's Treasure Hunt. And it was to find lost programs. So it's find lost episodes of Doctor Who, lost episodes of uh, Hancock's Half Hour. And I think Quatermass was mentioned in that. And that might have been the first time I ever heard it, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, that's sort of my my formative years on uh, uh, Quatermass and, and Nigel Neal. So at what point did you discover... <laughs> King Vig. <laughs> really recently, really recently. Um, I don't know how it would pass me by, but I'd missed the fact that Nigel Neal. So I, I love, I love science fiction and I love uh, folk horror. But my main thing is comedy. That's what I work in. Um, sitcoms and sketch shows and, and that sort of thing. That's what I do for a living now. And um, so I, I couldn't believe that I had missed the fact that Nigel Neal, someone on, who, who's writing I adore, had written a studio sitcom in 1981 and I, I'd missed it so yeah I, I, I bought it I have got the 
program notes here in front of me, written by Andy Murray, who you've had on your show. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's what I, as soon as you asked me to be on the show, I thought for several reasons, Kinvig might be a good one to choose. Number one, I'm going to guarantee no one else has chosen it uh, in the yeah. past, pretty much. Uh, and also because I've got a background in, in comedy, I thought it might be useful for us to talk about uh, where... Neil sits in the sort of comedy firmament and and what comedy was doing in the late 70s early 80s um and how Kinvig slotted into that so can I ask when you got Kinvig how disappointed were you well it's it's a fascinating show isn't it I think it's a real it's a real curio and um I don't hate it I, I I don't I don't hate it it's um I almost think, and I've, thought, I've been thinking a lot, and I've even written notes that I'm reading in front of me because I thought I'll write some notes as I'm going. There's, there's, I think there's absolutely tons of, of potential, and I think it might even work better now as an idea. Now that in, in the late 70s, early 80s, virtually no sitcoms uh, were single camera location sitcoms. Pretty much every single sitcom was a uh, multi camera studio sitcom and this is no exception so what we mean by that is uh if if people aren't aware um you can you tend to shoot things in two different ways you can either shoot things multi-camera so that's like on a set with uh, and you you will do several takes but you'll have multiple cameras filming uh, actors all at the same time it's usually lit really really brightly and this goes all the way back to things like i love lucy uh where you had to everything's lit really brightly because you can't have shadows that are being cast across actors' faces or people standing in each other's light and things. So it tends to be lit very, very brightly. Um, and it's it, it's in front of an audience. So you have a studio audience and what people refer to as a laugh track, but I hate that because it's a live studio audience. Um, there are some programs that will use a laugh track, but we just sort of don't do that on sitcoms in the UK. It is a live studio audience. And you at home might not find it funny, but I guarantee those were real people sitting in the studio audience laughing at, at what they were watching. I guarantee it. And um, Or you film it single camera. So you tend to be on location. You can sometimes be on a set, but you'll be usually on location. You'll if you have a scene between two people, you'll have a camera filming it and then you will stop the action. The camera will reset round to the other side and you will film the whole scene again. So single camera. Um, that tends to have no studio audience and that has become absolutely the vogue thing since really the royal family and um, the office, really. Uh, they, those were kind of big sea changes in, in comedy that meant this that suddenly uh, studio sitcoms felt very, very old hat. Um, and I think some people have managed the transition really well. The League of Gentlemen is a really great example of uh, a show that managed the transition from audience to non-audience incredibly smoothly. But um, this, when when uh, Neil was writing this, it went out in uh, late 1981, uh, it, everything was was studio sitcoms, audience, multi-camera studio sitcoms, and Kinvig is an example of of one of those. And I, I wonder whether that's the best option. In the way that television often does, we transfer from theatre to to film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah similar, similar things happen with drama. Absolutely, that's uh, that uh, it, they were dramas were rehearsed, and you would do it on a set, and you would have multiple cameras. Um, and there's there's some fascinating episodes of the Twilight Zone that were done like that to save money, um, just on on one set or two sets, and you can tell it just feel there's something about it that feels different, and they're they're interesting. But uh, I wonder whether um, 
it it might have suited Neil's writing a bit more if he were writing in this sort of more modern era of uh, sitcoms tend to be single camera, no audience, filmed on location, a bit moodier maybe. And in that vein, because you did an episode of Upstart Crow, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. And that's shot as a multi-camera, isn't it? That is, that is yeah, set on a set. That's yeah. right. It was ITV Studios on uh, on South Bank. And it has an audience, yes? And it has an audience, yes, yeah. yeah. And was that, deliberately, was that deliberately done as... Not just this is how Ben Elton has written comedies since the early eighties. This, this is how it was to be, or just trying to maintain that slightly cosy. I find it interesting that we go from the alternative comedy of the early eighties to yeah, yeah. which is the most traditional way to make to make comedy. But was that and that's just clearly a deliberate choice in terms of the production? I think it's that Ben Elton absolutely adores that 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 way of making a sitcom and um he would talk to the audience in between uh takes quite often there was a a, a wonderful uh, warm-up stand-up called laura lex she's fantastic you can look her up uh everybody she's written a book called pivot which is out now uh i'm i'm, I'm genuinely i i just know her she's just a friend but she's ve- she's a very good stand-up she was the warm-up but when uh she was sort of uh told oh you can have a sit down ben elton's going to talk to the audience about the process of, <laughs> of writing up start grow he would sometimes have a chat and he would say oh all of this in this scene is true this I did the research and this actually happened and this actually happened and it also he would talk about his love of that style of 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 sitcom of a studio sitcom in front of an audience he said there's just nothing else like it you can't you can't capture um that same atmosphere that you get and it's sort of hot he I think he described it as sort of half theater half television mm. um and there's something about the atmosphere of having a studio audience which is sort of magical and um uh and again it is if if any of your listeners can possibly go and see something being recorded, there aren't many studio sitcoms anymore. But if you if you hopefully that will change and it'll come around again. But uh, if you can go and see something being recorded because it is very exciting and audiences will laugh a lot. And it, even if then you watch it on TV and go, why is why is that audience laughing so much? This isn't very good. I guarantee they were having an amazing time in that room. Yeah, um, I, it's, it's really interesting. Going back to what you said about Upstart Crow, obviously having seen i've seen it i love upstart crow and i love how well researched it is and how yeah, it's, it's really well researched he's brilliant shakespeare yeah. types and um i'm actually in my other in my other life a bit of an expert in 1970s and 90s 80s sort of like esoteric stuff and ufo lore and all that sort of thing <laughs> oh my goodness well this is and, perfect for you then well you see that's the thing because it strikes me that there is clearly a way to do a sitcom that riffs off facts that sure, is good, yeah. like Upstart Crow. And there is yeah. a way to do it where it just falls flat. Mm, like. <laughs> like. Well, like Invig. Look, we're agreed, aren't we, that the pyramids couldn't have been the work of human hands? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Well, I saw it in here. The proof, the absolute proof. A man called Kerensky, he was invited aboard a flying saucer. Adamski. No, Kerensky. No, Kerensky was a politician. This is a different one, he's a butcher. (laughs) The entities aboard it came from Venus. Uh, No. What? I don't believe in Venusians. Oh, dares. Well, Venus is bloody red hot. (laughs) Just rocks, too hot to live on. I mean, those cameras they sent up showed it all. Do you believe that? Well... 
cameras. Official cameras. Official lies. Oh, Des, if you're going to start believing official handouts. Well, I don't. Not unless I want to. Just you remember the things they hush up. Yeah, well, I see what you mean. The flying saucer of Buckingham Palace. What about that? <laughs> Landed in the grounds of Buckingham Palace in 1954, as everybody knows. <laughs> Was there one word about that in the papers? No. And one thing that I realised, I, I, well, sorry, I hadn't realised that I'd missed was watching not only when you count the cameras and in, in as, as you could do, is like what, watching blocking uh, yes. and how it works as well. And there's just a bit where, I remember one episode where Gemma Whelan just turns to the camera and starts dancing and she's like facing away from everyone and you're like, oh God, yeah, it's blocking, isn't it? She's falling to the blocking. camera. It's like, you wouldn't do that in a, and no. miss, miss that in a single drama when you just, you just reverse the shot. Um, and it's and it was and it was so exciting and thinking oh this and it weirdly yeah you because know, it, it, it's it could look so dated but it, it felt comforting and that's possibly, that's possibly the difference in archive and nostalgia I don't know yeah I think um, I I think that uh, studio sitcoms will have their day again uh, I think it it's it's just taste and uh, they just hugely fell out of favour because um, the royal family in the office felt so exciting and different and um, yeah. and and a few other shows but it just suddenly felt oh god this is and suddenly they th these hearing roaring laughter felt like old hat but it'll come round again everything always does <laughs> I mean, the last the last really popular studio sitcom I can think of, the one that like really caught people's imagination, is probably Miranda, isn't it? That was that huge, was, big phenomenon, yeah. And it was made slightly postmodern, wasn't it? It was slightly it was, yeah. It's sort of it was, about being a studio yeah. sitcom. It was deliberately doing and deliberately doing, say, the the David Croft you have been watching, and everyone getting a live single caption, giving a wave, yeah, yeah, which they may have done similar when they did potentially when they did the bow if they did it at the last episode of. Quite a mass experiment. Uh, we will, we will, we will, we will never know. But I like the idea of the Karoon puppet with Neil's hand in it waving. Great for that was, uh, you have, you have been watching. But anyway, before we talk about the, before we talk about what passes for plot as far as King Vinny, <laughs> a little word on its origin, which uh, Gemma alluded to um, a few moments ago. Now. Andy, who has not only been a guest but has become a, a, a friend of, of a friend of Birdcast. Now, Andy is has been recording a documentary on Neil on the Isle of Man, and visited Fantastic. the and visited the archive. And I was talking to him about it this after, this morning, and he just sent me a copy of um, a transcript of an interview, which it may have been something that, and then Neil would potentially re-edit it and then send it back and say you can. You can you can send this out, uh, and I'm not sure who it was for, but just at the end of the interview, it just says, "Finally, can, do you have any future writing projects you can tell us about?" And he says, "The most immediate is another TV series, something quite different, comedy. That's a complete breakaway for you, surely. Not as much as it sounds. The strange story, the grotesque, is simply comedy stood on its head. So, in a sense, I've been writing comedy all the time." Upside down. Can I ask what it's about? Well, I hope it won't upset your readers. So this probably isn't the London Review of Books. He's writing here as well. It's going to be about sci-fi addicts, UFO buffs, fans. <laughs> so famously, Neil, who sees no difference between UFO conspiracy theorists and Doctor Who fans... Um, wrote this as a 
almost an antidote to his first convention experience. Is that right? That's what I understand. Yeah, that. Um, but there's 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 a few things that I, I read. I literally just read that and in the, in these program notes, and it made me think of a few things because I've been to a lot of conventions, and actually, science fiction fans tend to be very scientifically literate people, and kind of the opposite of conspiracy theorists. <laughs> like that's why it's a strange conflation um, to make. I mean, you know. Um, Famously, there are loads of people who go into science because they loved Star Trek or, um, you know, there's the flip phone looked the way it did because the person who designed it watched Star Trek and it's Kirk's mm. communicator. Um, there's there's a, 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 a woman aboard the International Space Station. There's a picture of her in zero gravity or in not very much gravity dressed as Captain Janeway because they all love science fiction and they go into actual science and it it, that that love of science begins with science fiction so it just seems such a strange um few things to kind of jumble up into like so science fiction fans who let's be honest can be a bit rabid my goodness uh but also are they they're the conspiracy theorists i think well no i don't, I don't know whether that rings true for me at all um so that's a that was an a little Odd oddity about this, uh, I thought. Have you? Have you? Do you find that that uh, that uh, science fiction fans don't tend to be the the conspiracy theory? If anything, they're the real skeptics of everything. Like that. I think it depends upon the depends on the person. Oh, interesting. Well. It depends interesting. upon the fandom. If you're taking science fiction as the as the fandom, as he has done for for, for this one, sorry, Howard, is. This says more about Neil's opinion on science fiction. Yes, and interesting. That, that is a, that is a fair point. That's true. Uh, but, but I mean, I mean, for in, but for instance, you look at the Fortean Times, right? And the Fortean Times. Oh, have, have you written for the Fortean yeah. Times? <laughs> um, the Fortean Times, <laughs> which John has written well. for. I I know, I know. Um, it's. It, it has DVD and film reviews in the back. Right, they're always sci-fi and horror films. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. Um, and that, I think, says something about the sort of things that people who are interested in Fortiana and weird stuff. The fact that John can write articles for the Fortean Times about Nigel Neal. For instance. Yeah, that's interesting though. I wonder whether because I mean, I I, I love a ghost story. I one hundred percent don't believe in ghosts. Uh, I like like I zero believe in ghosts, but I'll, I'll love me a ghost story. So I, I don't know. I don't know whether the two things necessarily overlap. But I mean, me, I'm, I'm I'm interested in this good stuff, <laughs> and I'm a skeptic. Yeah. So and both know. me and somewhat surprisingly Gina, my wife, um, read. It's the only magazine that we both read. Uh, is 40, 40 in times. Now, both of us are sceptics in the in the purest sense of the word, but it's quite fun. It's, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. Now, I think a lot of people, probably, I'm going out there, and, you know, if there are um, 40 in times subscribers um, listening to this, first of all, tell me what you think about my article. Did you like it? Secondly, <laughs> um, <laughs> secondly um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the majority of people who read it don't necessarily... Exactly, it's just, I think you're right. Just, yeah. It's just quite fun. And that's where Neil's conflation is, that people that enjoy this stuff believe this stuff. They generally, generally really don't. True. It's just, it's quite it's fun. True. Which, which is why in the Quatermass experiment, the serial, you have, you have the planets and the dragons. 
you have this awful cod sci-fi B movie that he's watching and that they make, especially the Cartier makes and films, because mm. that's what he thinks it is as well. And if you say sci-fi to Neil, he means American post-war B movies. Yes. He doesn't mean Ursula the Glynn. He doesn't mean Frank Herbert. He doesn't yes, mean he yes. doesn't mean he doesn't mean literary sci-fi. It's just a too narrow view. But anyway, he sees a target. Um, unfortunately, I wouldn't call Frank Herbert that liter- literary. Okay, fair enough. But you know, you know space nuns, John. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, Andy Andy Murray in his notes says we should just get that, Andy on, shouldn't we? <laughs> we should. Well, yeah. Andy Murray in his notes says, and I think this is quite a that he may be perhaps one of the reasons that the that this wasn't a success that Kimvi wasn't particularly successful it wasn't recommissioned after the seven episodes that went out um is that Neil seems to not really like his own characters very much like he doesn't like Des and Jim uh that he's if anything no. a little bit contemptuous of them and I it made me think uh, a couple of things first of all it, it totally is possible to do something about rabid fans uh Galaxy Quest is a great example of something that's about science fiction fans and yet is incredibly fond. People call it the best Star Trek film because it's such a good it's such a good movie. Um and if your listeners haven't watched it, go and watch it. It's fantastic. And it's about and it's about fans, and it's about fandom, and it's about how you know fandoms can be a bit ridiculous, but it's incredibly fondly realized. Um and it also made me think that recently I've been I've been re-watching all of Absolutely Fabulous. And now you might think there's there's no link between these things at all, between Kim Vig and Absolutely Fabulous. But I would say that Absolutely Fabulous has, at its core, two really, really not very nice characters. Patsy and Adina are not pleasant people. Uh, no. They they work in a really, really vacuous industry. And Jennifer Saunders, who's writing it, clearly also thinks it's a bit of a vapid industry sort of fashion. And, she, they, you know, she's writing these horrible characters, but she, there's so much love for them. There's so much joy. You can feel how much Jennifer Saunders loves writing those characters. And, you know, well, my goodness, she brought them back after they did three series and a, and a couple of specials. And then a few years later brought it back because she'd missed writing for them so much and, and, and also a lot of fas- fashion people actually love fa- absolutely fabulous absolutely and and then went on to appear in it <laughs> in yeah. fact like Jean-Paul Gaultier they all appeared in it so I think that it totally is possible to do um a sitcom about something that annoys you maybe and uh, and characters that aren't perfect that are very much flawed I mean you kind of have to have flawed characters in sitcoms it's kind of what they are um but I wonder whether when you watch Kinvig, you you do sense that Neil really does not like the leads at all. And um, uh, yeah, and, and in these program notes, um, he speculates whether like why should we, the audience, care about these characters if the the writer himself clearly doesn't? Which is an interesting. I mean, question. Uh, to be fair, he doesn't actually like anybody in the show. <laughs> That's kind of fair. No one gets a fair oh, whack. I don't know whether Netta, the wife... Well, Netta's yeah, actually Netta's the only really the nice person on it, isn't, on isn't that, she? On that point then, Howard, do you want to give us a quick pricey of what the sitcom well, all right. is? All right, so Kinvig is a seven-part sitcom about um, a middle-aged man called Des Kinvig, who is something of a loser and runs a failing repair shop generally failing because he is lazy and feckless. Um, He has a friend called Jim. Jim is a UFO nut and sci-fi fan and believer in everything that is esoteric under the sun. He has a wife called Netta, who is exceptionally nice but thick. 
the main thrust of the show comes from a woman called Miss Griffin, who is a shouty and angry repeat customer of his shop, who for some reason, even though she despises Des Kinvig, everything he is and everything he does in the shop continues to come in the shop. But because she is quite attractive, she is play- played by future Bond's girl Prunella G, in fact, he fantasizes about her being a space princess in a number of incredibly scanty outfits that would not have looked out of place in the roughly contemporary series Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Every episode is based upon one particular trope of science fiction or fantasy or conspiracy lore. These are laboriously named and signposted by Jim in every episode. Several of these are actually real things and not made up, um, which means that Nigel Neal actually did some degree of research for this show. I watched it over the last 24 hours in a marathon. I I, I am marked safe from Kinvik now, <laughs> but, but the trauma may stay with me. In terms of the in terms of the regular cast, and thank you, thank you for that, Howard. And if you haven't um, if you haven't seen it and you're still listening to this and want to avoid spoilers, I advise you to rush out and not not watch it anytime soon because we're not going to ruin anything for you. But amongst <laughs> the regular, but amongst the regular cast, um, one of the most tragic things I thought was um, Buddo, who's the leader. Oh, Simon the, Williams, it's, yeah. It's Simon Williams. Unbelievable. Simon Williams in a silly yeah. mask and a strange it's accent. Doing a stupid voice all the way through it. And you're all not coming up. All I could think Maybe of he's was, trying to hide himself. This is 81. This isn't like that. It's not It's in his career. All I could think of was the last episode of Extras, where they've got uh, Andy being the Doctor Who monster and he's got to be the giant slug and he looks pissed off. And at one point, Simon Williams in this shit costume. And, you know, they're sort of having their cake and eating it because the costumes are all shit, um, but they're meant to be because they're meant to hate science fiction and that's slightly... Um, I, I, I'm sorry, do a better job. Anyway, I think that's right. But having to give such like such a performance in such an unforgiving role like how much i don't i won't have to ever, ever find uh, interview simon williams and ask him just how much he hated playing but <laughs> the cast is great the cast is oh, yeah, yeah. really it really, really fantastic it's got, yeah. it's got um, patrick newell off the avengers in, in patrick newell off the role. avengers yeah he's brilliant as as mr horsley this um sort of local councillor uh at uh, it's bingle was it is it bingleton um yeah bingleton bingle, bingle council or bbc bbc sign on fire at one point <laughs> brilliantly um so yeah there's uh colin jeevens who i love he's i mean i know him as as Lestrade in the Granada um, Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes fantastic and then Patsy Rowlands as as Netta Kinvig's wife who I immediately I mean she's done loads of stuff she's been in Carry On films but I immediately recognised her as Spud Gun's mum from Bottom (laughs) that was the first I was like ah it's Spud Gun's mum from Bottom I immediately recognised her Um, but yeah it's the cast I think is is uh, fantastic! I think it's genuinely. Uh, I think it's a genuine. 
it, it it's not perfect, but it's it, it, certainly an interesting show to to uh, give a watch. So it is, if you and, see it, and, it, and it has a lot of talent. I mean, not just with Nigel Neal. It has Les, Les Chalisfield, who worked a lot with um, Jack Rosenthal uh, early on in his career at, at, at ITV. Um, all the actors are very good. In Tony, Tony Hogarth is isn't really a comedian. He's been in a lot of comedies or comedy dramas, um, but yeah, was a dramatic actor. College Evans, um, I think of. I mean, he's done so much. But um, mm. have you ever seen the 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 British version of, of the House of Cards trilogy? Oh yeah, that's yeah. I, I, yeah. I. In fact, I have only seen the British version of the House yeah, yes. of Cards. <laughs> he's, he, yeah. he's, he's he's fantastic in that. Uh, he's fantastic in that, and he's also in a couple of weeks after King Vig, he's in Canine and Company. So that was a that was a that was a fun end. He's of the brilliant, year. and his son is Frank in Hellraiser. That's one way of describing it. Given that we are recording this only a couple of weeks in advance of the new, new Hellraiser, Hellraiser anyway. that's coming uh, out with with, yeah. with Jamie Jamie Clayton as as Pinhead, and it's going to be on Disney Plus, which means Pinhead is a Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fantastic. Um, anyway, Patsy Rowlands actually was my standout for the thing. She's yeah, my favourite because she really actually funny. presents the lines with impeccable comic timing the entire time. She's probably it's, the it's, only sorry. She's probably the only one in it that has a background solidly in comedy. Right. Yeah. The that, was, that was that was really common. Yeah. Look at yeah. you know the good life and ever decreasing circles and all the way back to Steptoe. Uh, you know you you choose you get actors, <laughs> you get actors. I think especially uh, Gordon and Simpson after working with uh, Tony Hancock and finding that quite difficult yeah. <laughs> and then being sacked <laughs> basically by him. Right. Um, they went they went right. We're doing Steptoe and we are hiring actors that we can direct, not comedians. <laughs> um, so I think that was quite that was quite common was to hire directable actors rather than. Those those naughty comedians who do what they want a bit more. Um, so I think that was pretty common. But um, it's uh, it's interesting that you were saying when you were doing the um, summary, you came down clearly on the side of it's definitely all imagined. Um, it's definitely all imagined. It's it's uh, it did not happen. None of this is true. They're, that. Uh, uh, Mrs. Miss Griffin is not from Mercury. It is all in his, his overactive imagination, but it is ambiguous, right? There is a question mark yeah, over. Is this true? It is presented as is he either falling asleep, having dreams and nightmares, at, or drinking too much of this homemade remedy from the shop and just right, getting yeah. drunk and getting and imagining all this, or is it actually happening? Now, Neil, I understand said it 100% is not happening it is in his mind yes. <laughs> um, and I think that's probably if you had to make a decision that's what you would go with particularly because Miss Griffin snogs him every single time uh, that is free and he looks a mess as well and like, he looks yeah. a complete mess and she's there in a glittery bra and pants while all the men around her are fully clothed uh, and I know it's meant to be a spoof of science fiction but it is also doing the thing it's it is, it's spoofing it but it is also just doing it as well yes. yeah. um, so yeah, it's a spoof, but I always say, yeah, but you're also just doing the thing. Um, but yeah, it's. But I think if you had to choose, you would say it's definitely in in his head. But there's there is a deliberate ambiguity, right? Is yeah, is yeah. did all is did all this happen? Is it real, uh, yeah. or is it all a, a, a fantasy? I think it's probably closer towards the end when you get to the episodes with the. Um, encyclopedia salesman and they go sort of walking off on that green screen or blue screen it would have been at the time wouldn't it blue screen yeah. at the end um 
uh, I think you're probably going, oh, he's walking off into the sunset with a sexy, silvery science fiction woman. It's probably in his mind, but it's deliberately left uh, ambiguous. And I think now uh, you would definitely have producers going to saying to Neil, you have to conclude it we, we have to know whether it was in his mind or not there has to you have to come down on one side of of that fence but it's a, it's quite I think that is quite a Neil move to leave it up to yes. the, the viewer and to actually assume the viewer's in, intelligence as well I think that's a very Neil move to to assume the viewer's intelligence and to say no no you have to meet me halfway on this like I'm not going to spoon feed you uh with the with the plot or with what this is about you have to be intelligent and be awake and pay attention and you have to meet me halfway and that strikes me as a very Neil move um but yeah, that's it. it's just interesting because I, I was reading uh, the little synopses on IMDb and the person who wrote them definitely just 100% writes it as though it's in his mind. He has a dream that this happened. He has a nightmare. He falls asleep and imagines. <laughs> but uh, it is ambiguous when you watch it. And of course, television doesn't have to come down on either side or not. That's one of the cool things about fiction. Fiction doesn't have to um, lay these things out clearly. That poor old biddy, what did you say to her? You and your grisly little pal here. I've done your keys. My heel is broken. It is your fault. Fix it. Eh? I mean now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year but one, but this very bloody minute. Well, well shoes are hardly up my... You've got nails, you've got a hammer. Do it. Well, I'll do my best. Make it a good best, or you'll be sorry. I'm going to do terrible things to you, Mr. Kinvig. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm going to do jobs. Lots of little fixing jobs. And you are going to do them. I am going to torment you on behalf of all those poor old biddies. You disgusting, idle calamity of a creature. Nobody should be allowed to be like that. You, you fascinate me horribly. And I shall continue to be Miss Griffin with a hot temper. Standing there like a ghastly booby. So stop it. Get up off your backside and do something. But fix that heel first. Going back to the whole the sexism of um, Prunelogy's <laughs> Buck Rogers outfits. And, and why I she's the only one that looks sexy and human. And the, like and the, yeah, and mean, the others I mean, look like walking turds. Yeah, they really do, don't they? Um, it's the masks. Um, but yeah, and I'm thinking of Buck Rogers, actually, because there's a recurring villain on the classic Buck Rogers, who I think was called Princess Ardala. And yeah. she used to do the silvery bra thing. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. That, yeah. I, 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 know it's, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So I don't know why that sticks in my mind. Yeah, I, I wonder. I but, can't believe. I can't wonder why that is too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, but 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 they kind of also start introducing that element of sexism in the treatment of of shouty, angry Miss Griffin in the actual mundane yeah. side when she starts getting sexually harassed by Patrick Newell, who's her boss. Oh her yeah, boss. yes. And then right. decides to go off. Dogging with him in a car. Yeah. <laughs> the listeners who haven't heard, haven't seen Kinvig must be going, what is this show? <laughs> yeah. Don't think they're actually going to go dogging. It's just they haven't got, and it, she doesn't want him to come back to hers. He, so they go to, in a car. That's in a it. car, yeah. I don't think they're actually, yeah, they're going dogging. <laughs> dogging had not been invented in 1981. It was, it just didn't have a name. Yes, all right, I know how it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know far more about saying? this. What what did you call it in Swansea in 1981, Howard? 
<laughs> something Welsh, probably. But yeah, anyway, um, moving on. But but yeah, that that Miss Griffin's depiction in the show, she's either either like a bikini clad sex space princess dream, sexy space princess dream, or she's essentially a someone who's Every action makes no sense. Yes, a shouty, a shouty Harridan, and then you've got a sort of um, frumpy Harridan uh, in uh, in Kinvig's wife, and so it's like the three types of women. Um, you know, it does very much feel right. like that. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, well, Kinvig's wife isn't really Harridan, isn't she? I mean, in the no, she's time. really nice, and actually, that makes you dislike him even more because you go, yeah. "Your wife's really nice." It's like watching Goodnight Sweetheart, and <laughs> you're going, "Your wife's really nice. Why are you cheating on her?" <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. She's she's, well, she's genuinely because it, lovely. She just because it's because it's not about this. It's like it's like you say, uh, you know, it's it's like you say in that documentary you're in, Howard. It's the it's the the it's oh, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you give you one as well. Um, between the uncanny and the, between the uncanny and the prosaic, you're, you're you're doing something that's really Neil. You're taking something boring and suburban and dull and everyday, and you're introducing something random into yeah. it that's fantastic. And that's what he's that's what he's projected to as well. It's not that he hates; he's just quite he's quite bored and lazy. And so, and sudden and suddenly, sexy shouty woman arrives and chi- and pr- you know presses his buttons in relation to. The other stuff, the, the, the sci-fi, the sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I can't. It's not. It's not the best plotted thing ever. And this is, I think, my problem. <laughs> my problem with it as well. The th- we start with a sci-fi sitcom at a time in 1981 when it was possibly the only time this this sci-fi sitcom could happen. The beginning of the year has Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's going to as well. Metal Mickey is becoming a family, a family drama. We're in the post-Star Wars boom. Doctor Who's introduced a robot dog. Um, all those things um, f- to, make it, to, to make it acceptable. Indeed, after, I think it's after King Vig, uh, astronauts with um, Graham. Goodies, Bo- goodies, yeah. 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 Ha- happens as well. So this is, this is the prime time. And if you're going to do a sci-fi sitcom, then hey, Nigel Neal, as he's already said, can create these situations and from horror and from sci-fi are very can be very linked. It's is it Angela Carter that says comedy is a tragedy that happens to other people? Like things as well. It's it's a, it's a layering yeah. it's a layering of shit upon shit happening uh, that can be either comic or horrific and where you go. So in many ways, it's the prime time that can happen and it's the right writer to do it. Um, and like like actors can be great comedians if if they're as well. Yeah. So I could see that Nigel Neal could be. But one of the greatest things I've always known about Neal is his creation of believable characters and his fantastically realistic dialogue and ability to get plot over. Uh, and I'll mm, go on and mm, on yeah. and on and right. on about how good he is at exposition, how good he is at everything, how good he is at take world building with with just lines. He's beautiful about yes, that. And exactly. none of this, none of this is apparent in Kinvig. The di- there aren't are there actually any jokes? Because the most I laughed is in the episodes where they put gas masks on and make farty noises while they breathe. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Uh, my my favourite joke is actually one of Patsy Rowland's lines where she's like there, um, talking about where she's seen the guy that looks just like Des. We were going along Bolton Road and suddenly he stopped for his little uh, moment, you know. Suddenly he started to bark. Well. 
there was this man going along on the other side, and he thought it was you. Well, you know the way he barks at you? Well, it was that kind of bark. So I said to him, I said, you're wrong, Cuddly. That ain't your daddy. Because, you see, the man had a dog with him. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, if that was your daddy, that little doggy would be you. <laughs> and he's not you, is it? Because <laughs> you're you, aren't you? <laughs> I proved it to him. <laughs> that's very father. That's very father Dougal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, and mm. it's 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 actually, well, and, and it was and it's also timed perfectly, as well. You know, she she actually delivers the line really well, and again, again, and again, Patsy Rowlands basically is like the unsung sort of workhorse in comedy terms in this show. Because yeah, she's brilliant. She has many of the funniest lines. Oh, no, t- she's not the focus. No, indeed. And, okay, there, there will be a minority of lines that people find funny. Nevertheless, the majority of the stuff, I, as I saw it, comes from physical comedy, like he spills cups of tea in a funny way, or from Colin Jeevan's gurning at the camera. Um, it, isn't, it isn't highbrow comedy. Um, no, not at and, all. I mean, and and yeah. too and too much of the the jokes about sci-fi, whether it's what Penelope is wearing or those really right at the beginning when he has the, I know he sort of he repurposes them into the cooks, um, but those comedy cooks, yeah. comedy puppet aliens that he's dreaming right at the beginning, oh, yeah. who look quite a lot like Quatermass and the Pit Master. They do. They look like <laughs> really do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, too much of that is like like a scene in a Monty Python sketch where Carol Cleveland has one line, which is "This is my only line," which is really having your cake and eating it. You, it's one joke to make. This is what it's like, isn't it? In seven episodes, you could have done this better. Um, it wears out fairly, fairly quickly. I think that's that that's that that that's a problem and i think and it's and it's again it's andy that mentions this in in the notes but doing something like flip side of dominic hyde which played for today oh, uh, yes. does an episode yeah. doing doing this as an hour hour and 15 minutes single episode about yeah, a guy trying about a guy try, it's when you go into the seventh episode and you're still having and and the most interesting thing will be what's prenology wearing this time um rather than <laughs> Simon Williams is going to mispronounce another line. Patrick Newell's going to be a bit gross. Um, Colin Jeevans is going to come up with a stupid theory. And, and what, what, what stupid theory of the week is it going to be? Yeah. That's really interesting about the, yeah, the flip side of Dominic Hyde because that actually bears out what I was saying before because that's obviously, that was filmed as a drama. That was filmed mostly yeah. on film, yeah. on location. So it wasn't filmed on tape in a studio. It was filmed uh, on film, on location, mostly. And with all the stuff on the beach and everything. They'd had the, the sets, but there, there was all that stuff on the beach and Portobello Road. And um, it's it's actually really funny, isn't it, in places? Mm. Like, I yeah. genuinely go, excuse? I, I do that. <laughs> I do that in life. And uh, and if I've got no money, I'll go, I, I have no quids, yeah. <laughs> I'll say. So it's sort of, there's, it's actually, even though it's it was a drama, it was play for today, mm. wasn't it? So um, part of that strand. It's... Um, it's a funny. It is a funny science fiction and quite a successful one as as well. Yeah, and, yeah, and, a, and, a, and the follow up. and the follow up. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's an interesting t- late seventies, early eighties. is an interesting time for sitcoms, I think, because it was quite a transitional um, 
period. So it's the, 1981. Kinvig came out September, October, didn't it? 1981, like you say, Hitchhiker's Guide was earlier that same year. The following year, The Young Ones came along, which just feels like it's from a different era uh, of comedy. Uh, it's the, same, the following year as well, 82, is when Whoops Apocalypse um, mm -hmm. wow. came on. Um, 82. And that... I. I love Whoops Apocalypse. I think it's a really interesting show because it, it is like you can see comedy changing in that show. You've got John Barron, who's most famously CJ from Reggie Perrin, um, who's fantastic in it. But you've also got these young upstarts, Alexi Sale and Rick Mayle is in that show. So you go, oh, it's like David Renwick who went on to uh, write you know, One Foot in the Grave and everything, um, but also wrote on Two Ronnies. So it feels like this real transitional show. And... Kinvig was the year before and just feels like it's from a previous era I think a little bit now now that you watch it it's I mean it's astonishing to think that there's only seven years between Kinvig and Red Dwarf starting mm. um like wow. and a yeah. hugely successful sitcom science fiction which works very very well and still going amazingly um is it is it as 100% died now Red Dwarf I think it might have with the the promised land it might be 100% over now right um and we can hope and issues oh, with and, and issues with uh, Grant Naylor Productions and yeah, yeah, who's yeah, on the board yeah, of that yeah, and things. We all yeah. know that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, Red Red Dwarf. Only, there's only seven years between this Kinvig and and Red Dwarf starting. It's that it feels like they're from completely different eras of comedy. So yeah, I think this is a really interesting time for sitcom. Basically, it's an interesting time for television, really, isn't it? It's like television in the eighties just transformed. Yes. It is, and yes. again, again in this post Star Wars world, you're getting things in the day of the Triffids. BBC is, is yes. comes comes at this time. The Nightmare Man um, is 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 made at this time. Both things that I'm not sure would have been commissioned um, th this side of this side of the Empire Strikes Back. Sorry, the other side no. of the Empire Strikes Back. But it's also worth bearing in mind that, and I think you're absolutely right. Comedy is changing, but it's it's developing in different ways at the same time. Three day, I think it's three or four days after the first episode of King Vig is the first episode of Only Fools and Horses. That's right, yeah. And that goes on to become whatever, whatever anyone thinks about any aspect of the comedy at all, not least of which is longevity. It becomes probably the, the, the most loved, widely loved British sitcom of all, of all time. Like King Vig, it has a dodgy, it has a, a dodgy very start. Shaky, yeah. Very shaky, very shaky start. Same but as it, Blackadder, same as uh, yeah. Dad's Army, actually. Dad's Army, 1968, yeah. started in black and white. Doesn't, it doesn't quite hit its stride uh, for, for a while. So quite a lot of um, sitcoms yeah. don't, not everything is faulty towers. <laughs> not everything, right. not everything hits the ground 100% running. Sometimes you do need to run thing. I mean, this, this, this phenomenon exists even now, like, Parks and Rec famously has a a, a a sort of slightly wobbly first season, and yes. then they didn't quite know who Leslie Nope was, and and they made her sort of ditzy and a classic. Oh, I'm such a klutz uh, in the first series, and then kind of, as a series two onwards, they kind of got who she was. So it's it's quite a common thing for sitcoms to not quite have a really odd first series. <laughs> not always, but quite often. That's, so, that's true. I mean, what do you what do you, what do you think of the theory that Kinvig has more in common with the sort of night with the sort of sitcom like Shelley or Only When I oh, Laugh? That's interesting. Something yeah. like that, the sort of like losers, the sort of like straight guys being losers kind of sitcom that 
you saw a lot of them on ITV. That's interesting. Well, I mean, it's God bless ITV. Um, they're not known for comedy, are they? No. Uh, and they, no. you know, it be- didn't. I think it became like a joke. Uh, you know, in in broadcasting, is you don't go to ITV for you, for your comedy. Mm. Um, and you know, they had. I mean, we, when you go right, the biggest, the big hitters, uh, sitcoms on ITV. You go, okay, uh, Rising Damp, uh, and then and you go, right, well, we're having to reach back to the seventies, uh, and you so you're really struggling after that point. Hail and Pace had their sketch show on on ITV. Spitting Image was was famously their probably their most famous um, sketch show, but. You know, you're struggling. You are struggling by that point. I think there are some great ones uh, more recently, but they're sort of shunted away onto ITV Hub. There's a brilliant one called Time Wasters, which is fairly recent, um, about uh, a sort of all-black jazz band that uh, find a time portal uh, and go back in time. And it's great. <laughs> it's a really, really good little sitcom. Uh, I can't remember if it's ITV right. 1 or 2, but it's very good and uh, it deserves sort of more plaudits than it has um plebs of course outside tv but but it's not it's not a channel that's known uh very much for its comedy it's absolutely you go to the bbc you go to channel four <laughs> in this country for, for your comedy and itv does itv does brilliant kind of soaps uh costume sunday night costume dramas quizzes oh, yeah. they're fantastic at all that stuff but you don't really go to itv for you be a comedy. Um, yeah, the only time no. I've written about an ITV comedy was about Hardwick House. Oh, interesting. You did, which, yeah. Um, scarred yeah. me as a kid. <laughs> as a as a comedy writer, do you look at King Vig and go, "This is what I could do with it"? Um, I can't, I, ugh, I, I don't sort of allow myself to enjoy anything anymore because I'm constantly thinking, ah, oh, they set that up there and, uh, that's, in, that's a good payoff for that. Hmm. They could have set that up clearer earlier than that constantly. Um, so I, I sort of don't allow myself to enjoy anything or it feels like I don't, um, <clears throat> anymore. So it's, yeah, it's difficult to turn off that part of your brain that's going, oh, I would, I'd maybe change this. I'd, I'd change that. It, the first thing I thought was, I think this would work brilliantly with no studio audience. I think it would work better with no studio audience um, if you made it now. I, I actually read that um, a while ago, Edgar Wright was was working on a mm. an adaptation of, of Kimmy. Although I think it's wow. it's been it's yeah. since been dropped. But that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? If you've got someone with the vision of Edgar Wright taking on Kinvig. I think it could t- turn into something really exciting because I think. At its core, there is something really, really interesting. And typically for Nigel Neal, I think it's ahead of its time in that you could do a great thing about people who believe conspiracy theories and take conspiracy theories too far uh, now. I think that, that's that's perfect for this era yeah. of um, misinformation. And I think that would it, it'd be really an interesting... You could do an interesting take, I think, on Kim Vig, uh, set in the modern era. Um and yes. sort of, yeah, in a sort of year of the Sex Olympics way, uh, that he was just thinking, thinking twenty, thirty, forty years ahead <laughs> of his time, right, Neil. Yeah. But I think you, I think you could do it, and it would need someone as as brilliant as Edgar Wright, I think, that could uh, do something really visually exciting because he's such a brilliant director. He, he could do something really visually exciting with mm. uh, the fantasy sections if they are fantasy sections or are they actually happening <laughs> or does it matter or does it matter he would make it matter he would make it matter <laughs> edgar wright would make it matter <laughs> yeah there, there are there are there are lots of sort of things bubbling under that never really get going or i never really think intended to get going uh jim um uh 
Colin, Jeev- Colin Jeevan's character uh, signs on, but we know his wife works. Um, yeah, he's hit, that's he's, he's he, when when he's hit when uh, King Vig's hit with the rates. He said, "What do you do?" I, he doesn't know. His wife sorts all that stuff out. Um, but that never goes. All the idea, I think, as he's presented, he's presented as the worst of masculinity. He's 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 <laughs> he's, he's he's so enfeebled that all he can do is read these books and sign on while he's while he's emasculated by his wife, who takes the the earning position. That in itself is problematic in the way it's presented. But it's not like sure. a state a state. It's not like stay at home husband who's homemaking for his wife for his wife either. But there are all those things that yeah, you know, that's not their purpose. But you watch them now and go, you could. I I'm, 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 no, I'm no sitcom writer, but you could say, is that, could you go somewhere with that? Could yeah. that then dress some bit of character into Well, Neil had a whole idea for a second series, right? And wanted to mm. do a second series, I think. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. who, I mean, I guess you could say maybe he had ideas of where those, those mm. threads would ultimately take us. I mean, another th- interesting thing that's happened in a lot of, not just sitcom writing, but but dramas is the difference in in the style of storytelling in the episodic television has really kind of not not gone away but been paused in favor of these long sort of serialized storytelling uh, that that favors things like binge watching like you do on streamers instead of kind of star trek where it'd be like monster of the week and it, it needs to just stand alone that 45 minutes needs to stand alone because it's going to be syndicated out to a whole bunch of countries it's all going to be watched it out of order you're not going to watch it in the right order so everything has to be set up and paid off in one 45 minute in installment um whereas now because we've got these streaming services we can watch everything in the right order uh, and uh, in the order that that it was intended and you can have these long stretching storylines i think this is reflected in sitcoms as well because instead of i mean say faulty towers where every episode is just like a little beautiful farce and a little work of art or frasier just a beautiful little work of art on its own now you've got these long series like look fleabag or back to life something that's telling one story across all of its episodes um and maybe that would kind of suit Neil a bit better, actually. Maybe that instead of having to just have Monster of the Week and wrap everything up in a little 28-minute episode, it would kind of suit him to have, right, you've got you've got seven half hours and it's one story. I think that it might work even better now for him. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. Should we should Edgar Wright ever bring it back? Between the three <laughs> between the three of us, we have we we have, we have we have enough to, to to be able to make it to, to make it work. Um, well, thank you. That that probably concludes. I'm just conscious of time. That really concludes our um, very detailed look at look at look, look at King of Vig. And I hope if we haven't if you haven't seen it and you now have absolutely no intention of doing so, um, <laughs> oh, you, no. you, you check oh, it out. Our work it, is it, done. It, no, it's it it has to be seen. There's interesting things about it, and you it don't is, have yeah. to like everything to find it interesting and, and, and to find it worthwhile. So we reach the, the point of, uh, of Birdcast where we ask our where we ask our esteemed guest if there's anything they would like to flog and I think you might have something quite timely, Gemma. Oh, goodness me. Yes. Well, as we record this, uh, tomorrow my Radio 4 show starts. So it will be, by the time this goes out, I think at least some of the episodes will be up on BBC Sounds for you to download and listen at your leisure. It's called Gemma Arrowsmith's Sketched Out. Our first guest is Patterson Joseph. When will this go oh, out? Will probably, it, uh... Uh, probably in about a week. 
in about a week. Well, in that case, you will have to tune in to see who the second guest is. But it is someone incredible. And it is someone that your, your, <laughs> listeners, your listeners will 100% have heard of uh, and will love from many programs that are Neil adjacent. Uh, so you will you know have to tune in. But... You know who it is? I know who it is. Okay, that's right. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you after we stop recording. Okay, <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, anything more you wanted to cover before we finish, Howard? No, I think we 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 covered all of it. We've we've dunked on it adequately, but I think we've also found enough redemptive content to make us feel somewhat better about it and somewhat better about Nigel Neal. Then I want to I want you to imagine we all we all hold hands and walk into the blue screen um, starfield in the sky <laughs> and we will have to finish on the music for King Vig rather than the usual. And I'll be wearing the bikini. Finish. I wasn't going to even go to that far as well. I think too late. Yeah. Too late. Too late as well. Gemma Arrowsmith, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Gemma Arrowsmith for joining us in this episode. And once you've finished listening to this episode of Birdcast, why not go over to Radio 4 and find Gemma's new show, Sketched Out. Birdcast is an independent podcast, curated, edited and co-presented by John Deere and me, Howard David Ingham. Thanks for listening.